Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. You have to stop eating all the time. Our society is basically based off of constant eating. We're always snacking. And by always snacking, we never allow our body to actually do the processes of breaking down this intracellular gunk that it needs to to function more appropriately. Dr. Anthony Yoon is a board-certified plastic surgeon, best-selling author, and anti-aging expert with millions of followers on social media. With 20 years of plastic surgery experience, Dr. Yoon opts to take a holistic approach to staying young. When you actually look at how does somebody actually age more slowly, what are the strategies to live longer, the number one thing that most people look at is... I'm Erica Kohlberg, and you're listening to the Erica Taught Me Podcast. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between 6 to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28, so go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com slash invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. So what are the factors that cause your skin to age? Well, there are technically four major factors that cause skin aging. Uh, The first one is collagen degradation. So our skin is composed about 70 to 80% of collagen. And every year, after about the age of 25 or so, we lose about 1% of the thickness of our collagen every year in our skin. Women, once they go through menopause, start losing 2% of the thickness of their collagen. So that's one of the main causes of aging uh, of our skin. Second thing is inflammation. The third cause of aging of the skin is 
free radicals or oxidation, which I know you've talked about on the podcast before. And then the fourth cause basically is loss of autophagy, which is intracellular renewal, is our intracellular renewal mechanisms start to degrade. And, and that's a huge part of turning back the clock. Okay, so let's go through each one first. Then loss of collagen. Collagen is like, is that what makes it feel plump? Exactly. The collagen in our skin is a, is a strong part of our skin. It's what gives us the turgor. It's what causes our skin to feel tight. And that's why a lot of the treatments that we're doing to replenish are basically meant to replenish the collagen when you're looking at cosmetic treatments. It's to cause that collagen. And the way I describe it, it's kind of like the logs of a log cabin. Okay, The collagen is, is in these tightly packed fibers like the logs of a log cabin. And as you get older, those logs become frayed. They start to fall apart. And so the vast majority of treatments, whether they're lasers or chemical peels uh, or even certain types of creams, are meant to cause those log cabins to become tighter and kind of that stable structure once again. So for collagen, I know that I've seen these pills that say, okay, they have collagen in them, or I've seen creams that have collagen in them. What's the best route to go about it? Yeah, so collagen is a large protein. There are certain types of collagen that can really help, and there are certain types of collagen that are a waste of your money. Because collagen is such a large protein, if you apply it to the surface of your skin as a collagen cream, it's not going to penetrate your skin. Your skin is a barrier. So collagen creams, other than just maybe moisturizing your skin... Are a waste of money. They are a waste of money. They're not going to do anything for you. Now, the real controversy, though, is when you take collagen by mouth. And so there are collagen supplements that people are taking, super popular. And there are doctors online who some of them will say collagen doesn't work, don't do it because it gets broken down in your stomach. And other people will say, no, it really does help. Collagen is because such a huge protein, you have to break it down into small peptides for it to be digested. And so good collagen supplements are hydrolyzed collagen peptides. And those can be actually absorbed into the body. And there are a lot of studies that show that if you take a collagen supplement, your skin can definitely benefit from it. So what specific wording are you looking for on the label that indicates that that is the right type of collagen to be taken that's broken down properly? You want hydrolyzed collagen peptides. Hydrolyzed collagen yes. peptides. Yes. Okay. So hydrolyzed collagen peptides. And, you know, like I said, there's so much controversy with it. Now, full disclosure, we do sell supplements in my practice, and my top selling supplement is our supplemental collagen. But we've had so many stories from all people who buy it and who use it. They tell me their hair feels thicker, their skin looks more radiant. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the studies do also support it. There was actually a meta-analysis in 2021 of 1,200 people who took collagen supplements 90 days, and they found a statistically significant improvement in wrinkles, in skin hydration, and skin elasticity. Hmm. Okay, so collagen I should add to my supplements list. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because I was visiting my, my mom just a month or two ago and I just like default send her collagen, my collagen. Like she's on this, like uh, every three months she gets a couple of tubs of collagen. And she's like, Tony, I've been doing this collagen. Do you think that's why my hair's getting thicker? <laughs> and, and my mom is like 78 years old. And, she's, and I'm like, it could be the possibility, mom. But, you know, we know collagen is in so much of our body. It's in our joints. Type 2 collagen is part of our joints. Type 3 collagen is in our muscle. And so if you've got a good collagen supplement, it can really help with more than just your skin, but it can help with your bones and your joints and, and your muscle as well. Interesting. Okay, let's target the second one then. What was the second cause? Second cause of aging of our skin is inflammation. Okay, so inflammation, you know, there's two types of inflammation that's really important that you separate out. There's acute inflammation and there's chronic inflammation. Acute inflammation can be a good thing. 
okay? It's like if you get a cut on your body, your body creates inflammation around to heal it. It's like if you get a chemical peel or you get a laser treatment, you're creating acute inflammation and your body uses that to heal. It's when inflammation is chronic that can become an issue. And the main types of chronic inflammation that we worry about is from glycation, okay? And so when you look at the age of the skin, the big age of the skin, food-wise, is sugar. Glycation means what? Glycation is when you take sugar uh, and you ingest sugar and it goes into your body. It can actually, um, the sugar molecules can connect with the collagen and the elastin in your skin and it can create inflammation and cause those collagen molecules to actually become kinked and deformed. That's called glycation. So if you heard the term glycation, glycation is sugar plus the collagen and elastin in your skin. Okay, that's a bad combination. And so people have thought for years that fat is really bad for you. But the truth is, is sugar is the great ager of our bodies. And it does that through two processes, glycation, and you can get chronic inflammation from sugar spikes as well. So is sugar something that you don't have? Sugar is something that is necessary in the diet because we do have to have a percentage of our calories from carbohydrates. But ideally, you want to reduce the sugar that you ingest. When we look at actually the standard American diet, 20% of our calories in the standard American diet come from sugar-sweetened drinks. 20%. 40% of the American diet comes from a combination of either sugar or refined carbs. Literally 40% of the diet. And, And these are things that, once again, you can cause glycation where that sugar molecules are bind to the collagen and elastin in your skin, and that can prematurely age you. But on top of that, the second process is uh, inflammation from chronic sugar spikes. Uh, And one of the huge agers of our entire body is when you have so many of these sugar spikes, okay? When you get a sugar spike, you get an insulin spike. Insulin is released by your pancreas to cause your sugar to be absorbed into your different tissues, like your muscle and your fat. And when you ever heard the term insulin resistance, That is what occurs when people have had too much sugar in their body where the insulin essentially doesn't work anymore and the cells, the fat and the muscle don't take up that sugar anymore because they're essentially just are sick of it, okay? And then you have increased sugar in the body and that leads to type 2 diabetes. All of this is aging and inflammatory to our bodies. Wow. So inflammation, when you think about it, you want to think really sugar is a big culprit of inflammation. So once a year, a couple times a year, I do this thing where for a month I have no sugar, no alcohol, and I generally feel better. Like I've noticed usually the first seven to 14 days, I still have cravings for sugar. And when I'm talking about sugar, I'm talking about desserts like cakes and candy. But then after that 14 days, that desire for my sugar subsides and that that health plan becomes so much easier. Yeah. I mean, it becomes, it's like an addiction. And the, you know, the hard thing is that food companies are made to, you know, their goal is to sell their food. And so they make foods that are, we consider hyper palatable. Uh, and these are foods that essentially, like I said, you may take a fruit or vegetable, or you may take, let's say, whole grains, and you remove the fiber from them, and you just leave it with essentially sugar. And so it's very easy to ingest, and it's very easy to over-ingest them, because these are foods that don't naturally occur basically in nature. So it's, it's like the difference between eating potato chips and eating slices of, of strawberries. Like, you eat potato chips, it's hard to stop eating them because these are hyper-palatable foods because they dissolve and they go down so easily and you get another one, another one. But real foods in nature aren't made that way. Uh, and so these food companies do this on purpose because they know that they're going to sell you more. 
The problem is that these foods aren't good for us because once again, the fiber is removed, a lot of the vitamins and minerals are removed, and so you absorb it so quickly, and now you get those sugar spikes, and then that eventually leads to insulin resistance. That's type 2 diabetes, and now you're on a whole different path. What else are we eating then that's bad for our skin? Well, the other cause of our skin aging is uh, free radicals or oxidation. So as a byproduct of just living, as our, of our metabolism, we create these products called free radicals. And free radicals can be very damaging to the cells of our body. But our body can counteract free radicals by using antioxidants. Antioxidants basically counteract these free radicals to prevent them from damaging our bodies. Okay, so what causes more of these free radicals? So free radicals, we create free radicals just by being alive. But if you eat certain types of foods, you can get more free radicals. If uh, foods like ultra-processed foods are filled with free radicals, Free radicals are also present in our environment. So if you're in a very polluted environment, that's free radicals can be attacking your body, your skin, as well as internally. Um, some people even believe that excessive stress can create generate free radicals too. And so really our body's defense against these free radicals, which once again can really damage your body from the inside and out, are antioxidants. And that's why you hear so many doctors and nutritionists telling you, eat a lot of foods rich with antioxidants. Dermatologists will tell you, put antioxidant serums on your skin because all of this will target those free radicals. What foods are best to give you the most antioxidants? So the best way to get a lot of antioxidants is to eat the rainbow of fruits and vegetables. The antioxidants are actually the pigment that's in the fruits and vegetables. And so if you eat, let's say, a red apple, and then you follow that up with a yellow banana and let's say an orange carrot, you're getting different types of antioxidants because those antioxidants are the actual pigments in those fruits and vegetables. Oh, that's why the more colorful, the better. Exactly. That's why you don't want to just eat green foods or just eat red foods. You want to ideally eat the whole rainbow of colors. Now you can get a variety of antioxidants that can fight those free radicals and prevent them from damaging your body, both your skin, which is most important to me as a plastic surgeon, but also your internal organs as well. Got it. So best case scenario is lower your free radicals and increase your antioxidants. Exactly. But if you have higher free radicals because you have the stress or pollution, you live in a city with lots yeah. of pollution, then you need to up your antioxidants even more. Exactly, because that's your body's defense against free radicals. I mean, our body will create both free radicals and antioxidants on their own, but you can get to a state where there's so many free radicals that are attacking your body that your body cannot handle it. What happens? Your skin ages prematurely. You know, you start developing uh, health conditions and things like that. And so definitely increase the amount of colorful fruits and vegetables that you eat can really help with your body's both anti-aging on the inside and out. What kind of research has been done with the correlation between stress and your skin aging? There's a lot. But you know, you don't even need to do research on that to know. I mean, all you have to do is look at the U.S. presidents and how they look the day they walk into office and then four or eight years later, and you can see the aging process. It's so obvious. That's right. I remember looking at Obama's photos before and after, yeah. and it was just a big change. Yeah, I mean, presidents, they age in those four years, probably double that. And I see that in my patients all the time. I get so many people come to me and they say, Dr. Yoon, two years ago, I feel like I look 10 years younger than I do now. And the first thing I ask them, I say, well, what happened over the last couple of years? And invariably they'll say, oh, my husband died or my parents died or somebody had a you know, big sickness or I was really sick. Uh, and that's all that stress that can really, really build up. And so you know, really reducing the amount of stress. And that's a, one of the parts of my book, Younger for Life, is different stress-mediating options and, and ways to do that. So, so important. 
Is it the stress itself that's causing inflammation in your body or is it because since you're stressed, you're not exercising as much and you're eating junk foods? Like what is the reason? I do think it's a combination of factors. I think just stress in and of itself can cause it. You know, we talked about free radicals. Uh, we do believe that stress can actually generate more free radicals in your body. Um, but it's true. You know, if you're really stressed, you're not going to sleep as well. You know, you're not going to possibly eat as well. You know, a lot of people find that when they're real stressed, they'll eat a lot more sugar because it gives them comfort. I mean, look what happened during the pandemic. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, one of the, the most stressful times I ever had was in March and April of 2020 when the pandemic hit. My office closed down. I had uh, 11 employees that I promised to pay them. And I had literally no money coming in because my office was closed. And it was the first time since medical school where I'd find myself waking up every morning at three in the morning just worrying, worrying about my friends at the hospital working, worrying about my parents, my patients, my family, and, and my employees. And I just started meditating. And I've always encouraged people to meditate, but I was never great at that myself. But I would take literally 20 minutes every day. You don't even have to like do a guided meditation. Just close your eyes, sit in a quiet room, and just pay attention to your breathing and try to get all the thoughts out of your head. And it was a direct correlation where I would, those days I did not meditate, I'd be up at three in the morning worrying. And the days I did, I would sleep through the whole night. It was direct, like almost exactly every single time. So now let's get into the fourth one. The fourth one is? So the fourth cause of the aging of our skin is essentially a lack of autophagy. Okay, now this is a term that scientists and, and anti-aging people know about, but the vast majority of people don't. As we get older, our cells become filled with basically intracellular debris and gunk, okay? Essentially, it's the byproduct of them functioning, and it's kind of old and used kind of intracellular products. And as we get older, if that doesn't get cleared out from the cell, the cell gets kind of filled up with it and doesn't function as well, and we age more quickly. Now, the body's mechanism of getting rid of that is called autophagy, and it will actually use that intracellular, those gunk and that protein, as fuel, but in order for it to use it as fuel, it has to run out of energy. You have to stop eating all the time. So what happens in our society is basically based off of constant eating. We're always snacking. And by always snacking, we never allow our body to actually do the processes of breaking down these intracellular gunk that it needs to to function more appropriately. And that's why people are talking about intermittent fasting and fasting so much. So for the autophagy to work, you have to be hungry. Your body has to not have fuel coming in. Exactly. Yep. And so the idea is, is that if you do a minimum of a 12-hour fast, so let's say you stop eating at 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. the next morning, it gives your body a chance to essentially then use that intracellular gunk, those proteins that are not necessary, that are kind of waste products, use that as energy. And by using it as energy, it cleans those cells out and now your cells are kind of made new again, and they're functioning much more appropriately and as younger cells, essentially. So it's a way to anti-age on the inside. So should everyone be doing intermittent fasting to that 12-hour extent? The shortest amount of a, of a fast that, that people typically do that appears to help is about 12 hours. And, and most people, you know, if you stop eating at 8 p.m. and you don't eat until 8 a.m. the next morning, is not that that difficult. Ideally, I try to encourage people, though, to do a 16-hour fast. And so you would stop at 8 p.m., and then you don't eat until noon the next day. Essentially, you just skip breakfast. You know what? I've just, this made me very hungry, and I was thinking, I forgot breakfast. Wait, so I'm doing your advice without even realizing. And, and you don't have to do it all the time. You know, in my book, we have a 21-day jumpstart where I encourage people to take one week where they essentially just clean up their body, where they 
get rid of uh, the processed foods and the excess sugar and all that. And then the, in week two and week three, they go on an intermittent fast just two days a week. That's it. You know, you don't have to do an intermittent fast every day. Now, some people who are, you know, big holistic healthcare aficionados will intermittent fast every day. And some people even do bigger fasts than that. Um, but science shows that you don't have to do it that, that much. If you just do it a few days a week, if you've never fasted before, it's not easy. You know, I encourage you to try to work your way up to it. Start at 12 hours. If you can get up to that 16 hours and you try to do it a couple times a week, that can really help your body and your cells to function more effectively. And it really is an anti-aging strategy. Uh, when you actually look at how does somebody actually uh, age more slowly, you know, what are the strategies to live longer? The number one thing that most people look at is fasting. It's reducing the calories and fasting. And reducing calories is tough. So if you can't do that, then try to fast. Wow. So I've just been doing this naturally without realizing. Probably. And a lot of people do. A lot of people find they feel better if they skip breakfast or they have something very minimal. Now, when you fast, let's say you do a 16-hour fast. And so you stop eating at 8 p.m. and you don't eat until noon the next day. That doesn't mean you shouldn't drink. You should definitely hydrate your body. Uh, coffee, uh, black coffee, you don't want to put anything in it. Tea is fine. Obviously, you know, good water, that's great as well. But I feel like there's all this conflicting advice because I always heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You can't skip it. Well, you know who came up with that? It's probably the cereal companies. <laughs> so it's actually a fallacy. If you talk to holistic health experts, um, you know, I think you have to do what your body, your body, you know, you know your body better than anybody else. And you have to do what your body tells you works well. So for me, I operate two days a week. On those mornings that I operate, I do not fast. I will have a high-protein breakfast because I know that when I have fasted, I haven't been quite at my best. Um, on the other days where, let's say, I see patients in the office, I do function just fine if I am intermittent fasting. And so for me, it's kind of picking and choosing when are the best times to do it. Uh, and there's a lot of different opinions out there. The one thing that is not opinion, though, that we know is true, though, is when you look at anti-aging experts, they'll tell you that fasting or calorie restriction is the best way at this point that we know of to live longer. So if you are going to fast, what is the most important meal of the day? Is that lunch? You know, everybody actually fasts differently. And so the traditional fast, like I said, 16-hour fast is 8 p.m. to noon. But for some people, their lifestyle doesn't work well with that. And so really do what works for you. You know, there are some people who will start fasting at, let's say, after lunch, and they'll have breakfast and lunch, and then they'll fast after that for the rest of the day. Oh, to I could me, never. I couldn't do that at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier for me to skip breakfast than to skip dinner because uh, I have a hard time going to bed if my stomach has been empty for that long. And why do they say that you should stop eating three hours before you go to sleep? Uh, there are studies that do show that if you go to bed with a full stomach, you're not going to get as good a sleep. Um, your, your deep sleep, your REM sleep is not quite as good. Uh, and, and as part of it is possibly due to increase in metabolism by, you know, the, the process of digestion. Because I have this thing lately where I've been so stressed and I can't go to sleep. So then sometimes if I eat crackers or pizza, then I fall asleep right away. What that is could that? be a blood sugar issue. And there are some people who find that if you, if you are waking up a lot in the middle of the night and stuff, it could be uh, due to blood sugar problems. And so what you may want to do instead of having crackers or something like that is have something that's more higher protein and see if that before you go to bed or you know, in, as, as the final food before you sleep, whenever that would be, and see if that works better for you. Interesting. Okay. I like the intermittent fasting thing because I feel like that is quite achievable for most people. 
And I think that's the important thing. You know, I know that I, you know, I know there are books out there that will tell people, oh, do a five day water fast. Do a, there's a lot of hard things that people are encouraging you to do for your body for anti-aging purposes. And it's the, this uh, thing we call hormesis. Um, but the problem is, is some of them are really, really hard. You know, doing a cold plunge, that's really difficult. That's super popular right now. But if you've ever done one, like it is not fun. And so there is definitely truth to hormesis of putting your body under short periods of stress can be anti-aging to your cells. Some of it's still a bit theoretical. Yeah. Um, and so really for me, what I try to encourage people is, hey, let's look at the studies and let's tell you, okay, let's do those things that we know are proven that really help. And something like intermittent fasting, as long as you're not pregnant, nursing, you don't obviously have uh, eating disorders and stuff like that, can be very, very helpful for people. I hope you're loving this conversation, but I wanted to jump in to talk to you about something I think you need to know about. If you know me, you know I'm all about efficiency, tricks and tips that make everyday business tasks a breeze. Today's secret weapon turns your big ideas into a stunning online presence. If you need to build a website and you want something uniquely yours, Hostinger has got you covered. Thanks to their AI website builder, you can take your business or personal profile online without the hassle. Simply explain what you want in a few sentences and you'll have your very own website. What I love most is that Hostinger doesn't limit you with cookie cutter templates. You can choose your style, but get all the help you need with fonts, images, and layouts based on your keywords, which makes the site feel truly like yours. When I used it, the cherry on top was that thanks to AI, I even got SEO-friendly copy and an AI heat map that helps to improve user experience and conversions by showing you which areas of your website attract attention. Everything you need is included and accessible. Header, footer, contact form, images, social icons, and even a logo if you don't have one, courtesy of their AI logo maker. Not only that, but they also have e-commerce options with a 0% transaction fee and a dedicated live support team who are just a message away when you need them. If you're ready to bring your vision to life without the fuss, check out Hostinger. Head to hostinger.com slash Erica10 and get an extra 10% off the sale price at checkout with code Erica10. That's hostinger.com slash Erica10. Remember, Erica is with a K, so it's E-R-I-K-A 10. I'll put the link in the show notes. What is the most out there thing that you do for your anti-aging purposes? Me? Yeah. Probably Botox. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's the most popular cosmetic treatment in the world, it's still, you know, people are still afraid of it. And you know, it's a medical treatment. It's the most powerful, one of the most powerful toxins in the universe that we know of. But it really does get rid of wrinkles pretty well. Isn't it dangerous though? And isn't that not in and of itself anti-aging? Isn't that more just band-aiding the problem? Um, you know, there is an argument that it can be anti-aging. Not that it's going to help you to live longer or anything, but the wrinkles, so basically Botox works by preventing nerve transmissions to certain muscles, okay? And there are certain muscles that can create wrinkles. So the wrinkles between your eyebrows are caused by certain muscles called the corrugator muscles. The wrinkles of your forehead, the horizontal wrinkles, are caused by your frontalis muscles. And the wrinkles of your crow's feet are caused by the orbicularis muscles. And so if we cause those muscles to stop working, then those wrinkles smooth out. There is the use of Botox as a preventative, which I myself in general don't agree with, although it does make sense, in that if you never 
allow your body to create those lines, then you're not going to get them. Uh, and that's why some people in their 20s are getting Botox. To me, I think it's still it's a medical procedure. You know, you're 20 and you don't have you got a perfectly smooth forehead. Why are you wasting your money on Botox? Like, spend that money on good skincare, on good food. That's a much better way to do it. At what age do you think it is okay to start getting Botox? I usually recommend not so much age as when you start seeing those lines appearing. And when the lines start appearing in those areas and they start bothering you, then that's a reasonable time to start. So should I get it? <laughs> you are perfect just the way you are, Erica. <laughs> I have tried it once. May of last year I did it because I was turning some kind of age that was scary. And yeah. I was thinking, oh, I should do it. You know, if any of your listeners are thinking about Botox, my recommendation number one is make sure you see a board-certified plastic surgeon or a dermatologist. And number two, start small. You know, just start with the wrinkles between your eyebrows or your crow's feet wrinkles. Those are the two areas that even if they don't do the best job, you're likely not going to look botched. Yeah. It's mainly when you do the forehead and that can cause your eyebrows to really change shape that people really go wrong. I got a tip from one of my friends who was a Disney star and he told me that in Hollywood, you go in and you say, I want actor's Botox. Oh, interesting. Which means that even if the camera's up close, you can't really tell that you've done it. And I think that just limits how much they put on you. Yeah, and the locations of it. Although I, whenever I watch movies and stuff, I can 100% tell when people have had it. And, oh, really? Oh, I get, and I get tabloids every week that email me photos. I'm like, does this person have anything? And the crazy thing with these tabloids is that they pick the absolute worst photo that they can of this celebrity. And then they compare that to one of the best photos of them from like 10 years ago. And it's like, come on, it's not the <laughs> same. So where have you done Botox? Just the, here? I usually just do it yeah, between my eyebrows. At some point, I may do my crow's feet, but I don't quite need it yet. But I'll probably be getting there at some point soon. Yeah. yeah. And I've even injected myself on a TikTok. I injected myself with Botox. Yeah, it was when the pandemic hit and I found myself, Botox only lasts so long in your refrigerator. And each vial of Botox costs us over $600. And so my office abruptly closes during the pandemic. And, <laughs> and literally two so much weeks extra. later, I'm like, open the fridge, like, oh, there's an, a vial of Botox here and it's full. So I'm like, what am I going to do with it? I'm the only person in the office. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm like, well, if I'm going to inject myself with Botox, might as well do it for a TikTok video. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I did. Wow. No, the one time I went last year to get Botox, I was so sad because there's nothing worse than having features pointed out to you that you didn't, you weren't aware of. So I go into this Botox office and this guy's like, oh, you're here for your TMJ or your masseter Botox. And I was like, no, I, I came in for this area. And I had never been aware that I had these, what's this called? It's ma you're right, it's masseter muscles. Yeah. yeah. But now I'm aware because yeah, he pointed it out, even though that's not why I went there. <laughs> yeah, and that's an area if you can inject Botox into this. It's basically a large muscle on the side of your jaw. Um, we see actually in a lot of Asians and yeah. Koreans where that muscle can get big. And it used to be they would surgically cut that muscle down. Big operation, bloody operation. Now if you inject Botox into it, it weakens the muscle and it causes the muscle to atrophy or to get smaller. And that's a way to basically narrow the jawline. And, and so people with TMJ, that? that can help too. Do I have TMJ? Uh, well, TMJ is if you have actual pain, you know, uh, a jaw pain from uh, inflammation. No. Um, so if you don't have that, then it's not. And, and, and it can help with that. But we do it cosmetically in my office where people say, look, I feel like my jaw looks too wide. Yeah. There's some people who do, they chew a lot of gum or they grind their teeth a lot at night and you can really see it sticking out. And, and if it bothers them cosmetically, it's a super easy thing just to inject Botox. I like how it. you're avoiding telling me the truth. <laughs> 
Because it, it looks fine, but if you were to say, hey, Dr. Yoon, I, and, hey, Tony, I, I feel like I'm too wide here, then yeah, it's a very simple, easy treatment. I never thought do. it in my life. But if you don't, then just leave it. Like you have, so the way I describe faces is you have, there's, people have either a ginger face or a Marianne face, okay? Uh, ginger face is a face like mine. It's a longer face that tends, as I age, it, it tends to get more gaunt, okay? And I age more quickly that way. A Marianne face is a rounder face. You know what I'm talking about, Gilligan's Island. I don't. I've oh, you don't? No. Okay. So Marianne and Ginger were from Gilligan's Island, and, and Ginger was like the big um, Hollywood star and glamorous, and then Marianne was like the next door cute girl. And Ginger had a longer, thinner, kind of a quote-unquote Hollywood glamorous face, and Marianne was like the cute girl next door. Yeah. And she had a rounder face. The rounder face ages a little bit differently. It doesn't lose so much volume as it gets a little bit saggy as it gets older. And the rounder face tends to look younger or to, to keep its youth much more because of that lack of volume loss. And so your shape of face, the rounder face, is going to actually age much better than my face. Yes, but you look great. Wow. <laughs> Let's talk about the ideal food plan. So we've already established that intermittent fasting, even if it's two times a week, is really good for you. We've established that antioxidant-rich food is good for you. What else should we be thinking about? So one of the things, and we talked earlier about taking a collagen supplement, but one of the things that is so important because collagen is a protein is to eat uh, protein-rich foods. And that's something that really has fallen off a little bit in our society. And there are some doctors who are really getting back on the bandwagon of making sure that people get enough protein, especially as you get older, because uh, we can get what's called sarcopenia, where your muscles can atrophy, they get smaller. And so definitely getting enough protein is super important. But the type of protein also can make a difference. And so, you know, in general, eating healthy sources of protein, this is a little controversial. And, you know, my opinion in general is if you're going to eat meat, I try to encourage people to try to go with organic, you know, or grass-fed. Um, so grass-fed beef, we do show in studies, has more omega-3 fatty acids than grain-fed beef. Uh, I try to encourage pastured pork and chicken. There aren't any studies that show that that's going to be necessarily more nutritious for you, but in general, just for the life of the animal, I think is, is overall better. Um, and then wild-caught fish. We do know that wild-caught fish, especially cold-water fish, uh, has more omega-3 fatty acids, which are healthy anti-inflammatory fatty acids, and less of the omega-6 fatty acids, which can be inflammatory if you get too much of them. And this is wild caught over the farmed fish? Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And so, what about these omega-3 supplements? Um, so omega-3 supplements, I think, are great. Because really, omega-3 fatty acids, you know, where are our sources of omega-3? So omega-3s, the, the good fats, essentially, are omega-3 fatty acids, and monounsaturated fatty acids. Those are the two types of really good fats. The best way really to get omega-3s are fish. Um, but a lot of people don't love eating fish. And so for those people, or if you are a vegetarian, then taking fish oil capsules, I think, is definitely a good thing. Um, now, for vegans, there are algae-based capsules, and so that is another way to get omega-3s. Um, but the problem is there just aren't a lot of other foods that you're going to get a lot of to get those omega-3 fatty acids monounsaturated fatty acids, which are the other real healthy types of fat, that you can get from nuts, from avocados, from olives, olive oil, seeds. Those all contain those the good monounsaturated fatty acids. So those are going to be more the plant-based options. Mm. Do you think everyone should be taking supplements or is it better to get things naturally from your food? So it's an interesting thing in that there is a belief that the industrial farming practices have caused our food, our produce specifically to be less nutritious now than it used to be. 
There was a study that looked between 1950 to 1999, and they found uh, eight different uh, nutrients that the foods have gradually been reduced in. So like the produce has gotten gradually less amounts of eight specific nutrients in this study over those 50 years. And now it's been even 20 plus years since that study was completed. And of those eight nutrients, we have less uh, protein in our produce, we have less iron, and we have less vitamin C. And there's other ones like phosphorus and potassium and stuff like that. And so there is proof that our produce now is not as nutritious as it used to be. Uh, on top of that, there was a study that looked at 70 different diets that were recommended uh, and whether they actually met the criteria for providing basically all the nutrients so that you're not nutrient deficient. And every single one of those diets fell short. So when you combine that with the fact that our produce is not as nutritious as it used to be, and the fact that so many of us are eating you know, these processed foods that don't have many nutrients in them, and so much of our calories come from sugar-sweetened drinks that basically just water and sugar and maybe a handful of colorings and chemicals. I'm a fan of supplements because it can only help. However, you cannot supplement yourself out of a bad diet. Okay. And so if you say, hey, I'm just going to eat a bad diet and I'm just going to take supplements to make up for it, it doesn't really doesn't work, work that way. Is supplements a one-size-fits-all or you have to figure out what you're deficient in and replenish that? So most people say it's the best way is, yes, to see a doctor, to get labs done and see what you're deficient in. But there are certain supplements that I do recommend that everybody consider in general. And so that would be a multivitamin every day. Okay. And so that you want vitamin C, vitamin E, and you know, a lot of them have kind of the same stuff. Um, I do recommend an omega-3 every day, okay? Once again, if you are uh, non-vegetarian, then fish oil. If you are vegetarian, then look for, or vegan, then look for algae-based uh, options. I recommend a probiotic every day. And that's something we haven't talked about yet uh, on this is the microbiome and just how incredibly important the health of the microbiome is uh, to our body and, and to our skin. So taking a good probiotic, at least 3 billion colony-forming units uh, for that. And that's actually, you know, most of them contain at least that. Uh, then I do recommend uh, collagen supplement every day as well. And then the final thing, if you have access to it, would be a, an antioxidant type of a supplement. You know, we talked about antioxidants, how they fight free radicals and oxidation, and how that's one of the big agers of our body. Uh, to take an antioxidant supplement, one that contains a number of different antioxidants, can also help. Got it. Okay, let's talk about the probiotics then. Is that like yogurt? So yogurt does contain probiotics in it. Um, and so, you know, the interesting that's the thing that's happened in the American diet, but it's not necessarily overseas, but in the American diet is it is devoid of probiotics. So probiotics, there are two different things that are super important to our gut. Uh, our gut contains a microbiome, and these are trillions of bacteria that reside inside our intestine. And we are finding over the last 20 years that they are so, so important to our body's processes incredibly important, uh, to the point where some people even believe that, the, that those bacteria in your gut can dictate how heavy you are, whether you become overweight or not. It can dictate the quality of your skin and various skin disorders and even have connections with your brain. So those bacteria are fed by prebiotics, and they are essentially the idea of a probiotic is that's what they are. They are technically probiotics. Probiotics are bacteria, okay? Prebiotics are the food that those bacteria use for energy. And that is fiber. I mean, fiber is the main thing. And then starch, uh, resistant starch. Okay. So the one of the reasons why it's important to have a lot of fiber is, is when you eat fiber, it feeds the healthy bacteria in your gut, that microbiome. And it's kind of this process. And when your bacteria, when your microbiome 
Another name for that is probiotic. Whenever those are healthy, then your body overall is healthier too. And so taking a probiotic, you are basically taking then bacteria that are in that capsule and you are putting it into your gut. And so you are supplementing it essentially. Probiotic-rich foods are typically fermented foods that contain healthy bacteria and you get that from your food. And the problem is the American diet is devoid of fermented foods other than yogurt, essentially. Yogurt still is a good source of probiotics. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan of having a lot of dairy, um, but it is a good source of probiotics for people. And so really trying to encourage people to, you know, a couple times a week to have something that's fermented is definitely good for their body. And as a way to help with that, taking a probiotic supplement, that's a nice way to, to supplement that as well. How do you know if you don't have enough probiotics? Are there signs? Like, are your, is your stomach grumbling more? Or? You know, one, one reason why a lot of people believe that, that people have, let's say, irritable bowel is due to an unhealthy microbiome. The health of the microbiome is a huge thing. And in holistic health, we're finding more and more just the amount of our body's processes that rely on it. So there are people who get really severe bloating, um, where literally they drink water and they get really bloated from it. Uh, and that sometimes is due to an unhealthy microbiome. And so some people, I have friends of mine who are holistic health experts, and they'll say, look, we're going to get you on a fairly high probiotic-rich diet because we want to uh, get your gut used to, you know, or get your gut basically filled back up with these healthy uh, bacteria that's going to you know, improve your health overall. Now, the crazy thing, though, is, is that the bacteria in general, you want to be healthy, but there are unhealthy bacteria that can flourish in your microbiome as well. Uh, and that's what you want to avoid. And what feeds unhealthy bacteria in your microbiome? Going back sugar? to one of the first things, sugar. Oh. Yes. And so sugar is one of the big things that can feed unhealthy bacteria in your microbiome. And it can uh, kind of, when those bacteria grow, then it can push out the healthy stuff and that's when you can also get, once again, premature aging and other health problems associated with it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you met someone special yet? Are they the one? When are you getting married? Sometimes the people around us can be a little too interested in our relationships, and it can cause us to feel pressured about making choices that should be personal to us. Sometimes we're the ones putting pressure on ourselves. Am I giving enough to my friends? Do I have enough friends in my circle? We can become consumed by not being enough, which ironically limits our capacity to show up for our loved ones even more. Relationships come in many forms, and what works for one person doesn't need to work for someone else. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether with friends, work, or your significant other. It can even help you work on your relationship with yourself, the most important relationship of all. I've been using BetterHelp for a while now, and one of the things I've found most useful is how flexible and convenient it is. My schedule can be hectic, so being entirely online really works. You can also try different therapists to find the right fit. I've switched therapists four times to find the right person for me. Give it a try and become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash ETM today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ETM. I'll put the link in the show notes and now back to the episode. If you're listening, let me guess, you have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. 
But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura, and I'll also leave the link in the show notes. How do you find the balance where I understand that there is this ideal way to be cutting out sugar and intermittent fasting? How do you find the balance of like living your life without having to stress constantly about what you're putting in your body? So yeah, I think that's a great question. And my recommendation is baby steps. Um, I get so many of my followers, you know, that they drink, you know, three or four cans of soda pop every day. And that's kind of been their thing. And they never really realized how bad it was for them. You know, I, when I went to medical school, there was one of the medical students that I went to school with there who literally drank a case of Mountain Dew every day. And she was a medical student. Like she was going to become a doctor. And it just, I mean, it horrified me back then. But even in, you know, when I started my practice, I was drinking a lot more soda pop than I do now. Now it's kind of a rare treat, you know. I mean, you know, to have a slice of pizza and a can of a Coke is like, heavenly, but you know, it's trying. So the idea really is you, you want, you need to live. And there's some people who believe in an 80, 20 where, you know, 80% of the time you're, you're eating healthy. And then that 20% of the time, you know, you, you splurge a bit, you go out with your friends, you have a slice of pizza, you have a beer, you have a burger, you know? And so I do believe that there is a happy medium there. And for everybody, it's a bit different, you know? And so in my book, we've got this three week jumpstart that I'm telling you about. And that's not something that I encourage people to have, feel like they have to do all the time. But you do things like that when you can, and that can really help overall to get you on the the right track. And in my book, a lot of it I talk about is making those small steps. And I encourage people, you know, if you're drinking three cans of soda pop a day, to try to go down to two and then maybe switch that can of soda pop for green tea, where you're going to get all these antioxidants that are good for you and that will help you with anti-aging. You know, that's a huge deal. You know, that's a big deal. And so just making these small steps, I think, is, is what I try to encourage people. So is it better because I am an all or nothing person and I don't understand the concept of moderation? Is it better <laughs> that I do these things where probably three to four months a year I do no sugar, no alcohol, I'm very strict? Or is it better to do moderation kind of throughout the year? I would be more of a fan of moderation myself, but you know your body and you know your mind and your psyche more than anybody. And so you should be able to know what works for you. I think one of the things that in medicine that we have failed at is bioindividuality, is understanding that everybody's body functions a little bit differently. And we have huge studies that we look at tens of thousands of people and we say, okay, if we take this drug, then it's going to help 85% of these people. So it should help you. 
Well, there are 15% of people who maybe it won't help. Or we have these labs that say, okay, this is the normal range. And if you're in this normal range, you're fine. Well, what if you're at the top of that normal range with that lab results? And because you're at the top of that normal range, for you, that's actually not normal. And it's detrimental to you. Like, we're not good in medicine at bio-individuality. So the first thing I would tell you is, Erica, you know, as you continue to, I mean, you know, as, as you continue to grow older and you know how your body is, like, try things, you know, and see what works for you. You will feel it. You know, you will, you know, there are people who I say, hey, look, consider going off gluten just for two weeks and see how you feel. And they go, oh, no, I do fine with gluten. And like, no, just see how you feel. And then they go off gluten. They go, oh my God, I felt so much better. Like I had so much more energy. I had these backaches that went away and stuff like that. And they think, well, just because I'm not celiac, I should tolerate gluten. Well, there's a percentage of people that just are sensitive to it. Uh, and so trying these things, you know, part of that three-week jumpstart is going off gluten, going off the sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, going off of processed foods. And you may go through a period of time where you don't feel great because there is an addiction part of this, especially with sugar. But once you get past that, like those two weeks that you're talking about, all of a sudden you stop craving it. And a lot of times you realize, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Or my skin like looks like it's glowing. Or, or those inflammatory spots and those itching areas have gone away. And you start realizing that your body can function in a way so much better than you may have ever realized. And is it good to only take off like... For example, for two weeks, remove gluten. For two weeks, remove sugar, alcohol, so that you can see what is having a positive impact on you. Um, my recommendation in general is, you know, for doing something like that and like a three-week jump start is to do it all at once. The first week is kind of getting used to it. And then the second week, we add in the two bouts of intermittent fasting and stuff. In general, I believe going off of all of it at once, seeing how you feel after you're off for three weeks, Watch your energy level soar. A lot of people lose a little bit of weight. A lot of people find their skin looks better. Their breakouts are less. And then if you want to add some of those things back in, do it slowly. So you may say, okay, I've done this for three weeks. I feel so much better. I have a party I want to go to and they're going to have pizza there. I'm going to you know, add that. Let's see how I do. Or I'm going to add a little more gluten in or, or a little dairy or you know, that. And then see how you feel afterwards. You know, I, I am not gluten-free. Uh, I have a lot of colleagues of mine who are, but I do have gluten, but I try to limit it because I know if I have too much gluten, I don't feel so good. And what are the symptoms of not feeling so good? Like what's a good indicator for someone that, hey, maybe you should try the gluten-free or you should try no sugar? Um, it's different in everybody, but some general things are going to be um, brain fog. So if let's say you find that, geez, my, as I'm getting older, my head doesn't feel I have clear. That, um, but I thought it was stress-related. It could be. Related. I mean, that's the problem is that there's so many things that can you know, impact all this. Um, other things are like aching of the body. Like there's so many people who I've talked to who've gone off gluten and they say that, geez, my joints feel a lot better. Uh, and then skin as well. You know, there are people who find that if they have a lot of gluten, they actually break out afterwards. Uh, and so going off of it, there's a different signs for everybody. I like where we're going because I think it's very important that first what we put in our bodies is good for us. What about what we're putting on our bodies? So skincare routines. What is the ideal skincare routine we should have? So yeah, the Koreans will say it's a 12-step process. And I would argue that that's unnecessary. Uh, and so for me, and part of my book is a very simple skincare routine that anybody can do. We actually tested it on people and we found that you do this skincare routine and people can look upwards of five years younger and it literally takes two minutes a day. That's it. So 
if you're a skincare enthusiast, you want to do a lot more, then by all means do that. But if you want to stick with something you know, fairly simple, this is what you do. Every morning, you cleanse your skin with a cleanser appropriate for your skin type. And so if you've got oily skin, you want to go for a uh, foaming type of a cleanser. If you've got dry skin, then you want to go for a milky or hydrating cleanser. Um, if you've got super sensitive skin, then there are actually some cleansers that are just wipe off where you actually don't even have to use water. After you cleanse your skin, then you want to apply an antioxidant serum. Vitamin C is the most common that, that you can buy. Most skincare companies have a vitamin C serum. And we talked earlier about antioxidants and how antioxidants fight free radicals, one of the main ages of our skin. And so applying that vitamin C serum fights the free radicals and it's preventative for aging. And then the third thing I recommend in the morning is to apply a good sunscreen, at least an SPF 30, especially if you're going out in the day. If that's all you do in the morning, that's fine. That's all you really need to do. You don't necessarily have to use a toner. You don't have to use other types of serums, but if you just stick with that, then that's the basic bare bones, all that's necessary. In the evening, super important, you have to cleanse your skin. If you only wash your skin once a day, do it in the evening. Some people will do a double cleanse, and a double cleanse is when you use an oil-based cleanser first and then a regular cleanser second. And, and a lot of women do that to get rid of makeup. Okay, so oil-based cleansers are great because they can really help remove makeup. Uh, you can use it around your eyes. They're typically very safe but they also will help cleanse the kind of the, the dirt and the debris and the excess oil off. Uh, and then you want to cleanse your skin as you normally would. And then the most important thing is you want to apply some type of an anti-aging cream after that. And the one that most dermatologists and plastic surgeons recommend are retinoids. Retinoids are derivatives of vitamin A and prescription strength is Retin-A or Tretinoin. Non-prescription strength is Retinol. Most people are you use retinols because they're very easy to find. Most skincare companies have a retinol in their skincare line. And if that's all you do at night, that's fine. If you want to add a moisturizer on top of it, if you're living in a, in a cold climate, it's super dry, or you're living in the desert, you want to add another moisturizer, feel free to do that, but it's not necessary. And then the final thing, two to three times a week, if you have normal skin, once a week, if you have sensitive skin, you want to exfoliate. And you can do that either with a scrub or you can do it with a chemical or enzyme exfoliator. And that's it. That's all you have to do. Morning, cleanse, antioxidant serum, sunscreen. Evening, cleanse, anti-aging cream. And then two to three times a week, exfoliate. Okay. I have a lot of questions because I'm not doing a good job with this. I have like, <laughs> okay. I would have a 50% F score. Okay. First of all, for sunscreen, do you need to reapply throughout the day? Is it the same thing as when you go out in the sun, you reapply every three hours? So dermatologists will tell you that you should reapply it. Just like dentists will tell you you should floss your teeth after every meal. And they do. And I know dermatologists that do. I myself do not. Um, and so my recommendation in general is to try to apply it in the morning. And if you do that, then that's pretty good. Now, obviously, if you're on vacation, you're going to be out in the sun all day. Or if you work outside or you're exposed to a lot of sun, let's say, or you're driving a lot, then by all means, I would encourage you to try to reapply. Um, but I know it's hard. Yeah. It's not easy. You know what I'm also upset about? I was just remembering this the other day is I was turned on to sunscreen around age 20. My sister said, oh, it's super important. So at age 20, I started buying sunscreen and applying it every day. But I was so frugal. And the sunscreen that I bought was about $30 a bottle. I was so frugal that I would like put a little drop and then dilute it and oh, then put no. it on my face. So for 10 years until I broke out of that frugal habit, I was like... 
I was using just a drop of sunscreen and thinking, oh, I'm so protected. Well, and that's the negative. You know, a lot of people ask, well, is the sunscreen in my makeup sufficient? And most doctors will tell you that there is not enough in it to really protect you. And I think like anything, you know, and a lot of what we've talked about in this podcast, it's like, you know, there are people who really go to the extreme. You know, there are people who intermittent fast every single day. And, and it's a lot to ask of somebody and to change their habits. So once again, if you just do it in the morning, you know, even if it's part of your makeup, you know, at least that's better than not doing it at all. Yeah. You know? And so it's making those small steps, I think, that really people should champion because it's hard to do everything that we recommend. And, and, and nobody's going to do everything in my book that I recommend. But even if you do 10% of that, then that can really take you far, far, far. What 10% would you want them to do? Ooh, if you had to pick 10%. Okay, so if I had to pick 10%, a few things, I would reduce the amount of sugar in your diet. So try to reduce or eliminate soft drinks. I would intermittent fast at, you know, once a week if you can, maybe twice if you can do that. I would apply a retinol every night. And those are probably three things I think that are very simple ways to keep aging at bay and to even turn back the clock a bit. Okay. So let's talk about retinol then because that was my other question from your skincare routine. What exactly should I be putting on my face? Retinol? And you yes. just buy it from any drugstore? So there's two types. There's prescription strength that you have to get through a doctor, which isn't really all that necessary. Um, but most over-the-counter brands have their own retinol in them. You know, one of my top sellers in my Yoon Beauty skincare brand is our retinol moisturizer. And if you ask plastic surgeons and dermatologists what's the most proven anti-aging ingredient, they're going to tell you it's retinoids. You know, now prescription strength has been studied more than the non-prescription strength, but basically retinol is when it, you apply it to your skin, it undergoes a chemical reaction and turns into the prescription strength, essentially, tretinoin. Um, so it's the reason why you can buy it over the counter is because it's not active, but once you apply it on your skin, it becomes active, and so it does the same thing. So is this an addition to my moisturizer that I use, or you're saying find a moisturizer that combines the retinol? So sometimes there'll be a combination, and it all comes down to what your skin is like. So if you say, hey, I have oily skin, do I need to do a retinol and then do a moisturizer on top of it? Maybe not. Or you may say, hey, during the summer, maybe you won't put a moisturizer on top of it, but maybe during the winter you do when it's drier. Um, moisturizers are meant for comfort, and that's it. And so you don't feel like you have to do a moisturizer. It's like if you've got oily skin, then you don't necessarily have to put a moisturizer on. Like that's not going to do anything anti-aging. Retinol will. Yeah? And there's some retinols that are in moisturizers. Some of them are in serums. You know, so whatever you like, then that's what I would use. And what brands do you absolutely hate that we should avoid? Ooh, I don't know. You want to go down that road. What I would recommend, besides saying a specific brand, and there are certain brands that I'm not fans of, what I would do is try it on your skin and see how it feels. You know, there are certain brands where I put their products on my skin and my skin, I get like itchy. Uh, I have real sense of skin and literally I have to like, even if I wipe it off, my face is like on fire and, and itchy. Uh, and for some reason, the same brands. So for me, it really comes down to trying to use products that are ideally made with natural organic ingredients that don't have a lot of unnecessary fragrances that because that can be real irritating to your skin as well. And that don't have a lot of unnecessary additives and preservatives that can become potentially problematic for people. You know, I get a lot of people that come to see me and they say, hey, I'm using 12 products on my skin. I have all these breakouts. My wrinkles are getting worse. My skin looks inflamed. What should I add? What cream should I add to make this go away? And I tell them you're doing, you're thinking the opposite. You got to think the opposite. You need to start taking things away. Yeah, start with the basics again. Go back to that skincare line, that, that skincare, that two minutes, five years younger skincare routine that I just told you about. 
and get rid of all this other stuff. And a lot of them, they find, oh my gosh, I got rid of all these things and my skin looks a lot better because it's the accumulation of all these ingredients that are unnecessary that can be causing your, your skin problems. See, that's why I'm scared too, because I have very sensitive skin and I'll just get these like little bumps or not even breakouts, just these bumps. And so now I have just a cleanser and a moisturizer and nothing in between. But the problem with that is you're not doing anything to truly slow down or stop that aging process. Yeah. And so adding an anti-aging cream is going to be helpful for you. For some people, the reaction from retinoids is too much for them. And so if you've got real sensitive skin, like you said, that, that that's what you do, you're afraid to apply too much on your skin, then one good option is Bakuchiol. Bakuchiol is a plant-based alternative to retinoids, and it's made from the Babchi plant. And it's actually been used in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine for like centuries. And there was a recent study that compared retinol with Bakuchiol and found very similar uh, results and, and effects on the skin, uh, anti-aging type effects. And so now for people who say, look, I got super sensitive skin, you know, I've tried Retin-A or I've tried retinols and they dry me out or they make me red, then I encourage them, look for Bakuchiol because that's a really hot ingredient right now and it seems to be really, really well tolerated. The other question I was going to ask you was about the exfoliation that you recommended doing twice a week. Do you do that with chemicals or is that physical, like scrubbing your skin? You can really do both. You can do physical exfoliation, which is typically a scrub that has like microfine particles, or you can do it chemically. Now, lately there has been a trend, especially with dermatologists, you see this on TikTok all the time, going more towards chemical-based exfoliation. Traditionally, the physical exfoliation is what most people did. And you know, if you ask the Koreans, they're going to tell you, and, and you know, you go to a Korean spa and they exfoliate the crap out of your skin with literally it's like sandpaper. Oh, it's so painful. Yes. <laughs> and, but it works because you do that and like, oh my gosh, your skin is just smooth and like a baby's butt afterwards. So, you know, for the face, you want to be gentle. And if you are using a manual scrub for the face, make sure that you're not causing what we call little micro tears. If after doing it, your skin feels irritated or it feels inflamed, then it's too aggressive and then go with the chemical. Even with chemicals, though, depending on where you buy it, you got to be careful because some of those acids that are in there could be really strong. Uh, and so just trying it, making sure that your skin tolerates it and always starting on the gentle side before, you know, being more aggressive is the way to go. It's so hard because I feel like with skincare, I have a fear of doing the wrong thing and I'd rather just stick to status quo than like add something new to the routine that's the wrong thing. Yeah, and that's why I think if you stick to that routine that I talked to you about, cleanser in the morning, uh, an antioxidant serum and a sunscreen and then at night cleanse and either a retinoid or bakuchiol, if that's all you do, you're going to be you know, doing this better than 98% of the population if that's all you do. And then what about more aggressive things like chemical peels or lasers on your face? So those can be used for specific issues. So some people say, hey, should I laser my face? Well, what problem are you trying to treat? So if you say, hey, I've got a lot of dark spots, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of sun in my ears. And I do see even people who now who are, let's say, in their 40s or 50s, they go, oh, I wear sunscreen all the time. I'm not out, but I've got all these spots. I do believe a lot of those spots are from when you were younger and they the sun damage you get when you're younger and it starts appearing in your later years. The problem with spots is you cannot get rid of them. They won't go away on their own. You can't get rid of them unless you actually do something about it. Uh, and the best treatment for spots would be combining a brightening cream with IPL, intense pulse light treatments. Um, so for spots, you know, you can target a certain way. If it's a wrinkle issue, then that's something that you may want to consider something different. You know, there are lasers that are specifically meant to target wrinkles, like fractional lasers. But in general, when you talk about anti-aging treatments like that, the more downtime you get, 
the more of a change you're going to see. The less downtime or the less aggressive, the less of a change you're going to see. And so you can do anything from like a lunchtime laser to a laser where they literally burn all the skin off your face. And you're going to see better results with the more aggressive options. Short of plastic surgery, what do you think is your best way to spend money on skincare to look younger? Okay, so if you're talking about efficient ways or best bangs for your buck, yeah, the number one best bang for your buck would be a retinoid or a uh, Number two, I would probably say actually would be microneedling. Uh, microneedling, you know, you may see people using dermal rollers, which most doctors are not a fan of because you can create kind of uneven tears of the skin. But if you go to a doctor's office or a med spa and you use a microneedling actual instrument and they microneedle your skin, they're making tiny little punctures in the skin. And the idea goes back to when I talked about inflammation. Remember when I said acute inflammation can be a good thing, but chronic inflammation is a bad thing. So when you go microneedling or you get a chemical peel or laser treatment, you're creating acute inflammation. And that acute inflammation can cause the collagen, those logs in that log cabin, to become tighter and to actually, as it heals, to heal in a tighter, more youthful fashion. The reason why microneedling is such a good bang for your buck is because the cost of the treatment is not that expensive for what you get for it. And, and it's because these hand pieces cost us maybe $3,000 to buy versus a laser that may cost $200,000 for a doctor to buy. They pass that cost off onto the patient. Okay, and so you can get the same result from a microneedling or from a chemical peel, which would be my number three bang for the buck, as you would from a laser, but at a much cheaper price. Got it. What do you think celebrities like the Kardashians are doing for their anti-aging and face skin, everything that the average person isn't even aware of? I think that they're doing literally everything. So they are doing Botox. They're doing fillers. They're getting, using all sorts of different products on their skin. They're getting chemical peels. And we also believe that they're getting actual plastic surgery. Uh, and I think a part of this that a lot of people don't realize, and I get emails and calls from tabloids all the time. Like, what did this person have done? What did Kim have done? What did Kylie have done? What surgeries have they had done? A lot of this is incredibly good makeup. It really is. You know, I've been on a lot of TV shows and I watch myself on TV. And I go, oh my gosh, I never look that good. It's because they have professional makeup artists that slather your face in makeup before you go on and you look fantastic and then you wash it off and you go back to yourself. Um, so that's the part of it. You know, I, I have gotten in hot water with people online because I will maybe... You know, say, hey, this is what I think a celebrity had had done. And I get people that get upset with me because they say, you're lying. They've had a lot more than that. When the truth is, I think celebrities haven't had quite as much done as we think. Uh, I think a lot of it is just amazing makeup on top of it. Wow. And I don't wear makeup, so I have nothing to help me. <laughs> <laughs> I know in this beauty industry, there are a lot of people that are trying to get you to spend money left and right. What are some things that you realize you shouldn't waste your money on, that it's not going to actually work and it's just gimmicky? Well, there are a lot of certain uh, conditions that we may have as we get older that you can fight it with these non-invasive options, skincare, supplements, diet, but they're not going to really potentially get you the changes that you're looking for. You know, so as a plastic surgeon, I still operate two days a week. You know, I still do surgery, but I'm very careful on who I do surgery on because surgery is not for everybody. It's dangerous. People die from surgery. And if I ever have patients ask me, hey, Dr. Yoon, if you perform this operation on me, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I'll say, you can die. Like You can die from this operation. And so it's always looking at risk-benefit analysis with this. Um, at the same time, I do get patients who come to see me and they say, hey, you know what? I went to this med spa and I had this treatment done. I spent $4,000 on it and I don't see any change to this body part of mine. Uh, and so really educating people on 
those situations where really your only real option to get the result you're looking for is surgery, I think is important. And if you decide surgery is not for you, then by all means, don't do it. You know, I would never encourage anybody to have something done that they don't want to do for themselves. Um, and so there are some conditions like, let's say, excess skin. So if, let's say, you've lost a bunch of weight and you've got skin hanging from your arms or from your tummy or your breasts are really droopy from that, um, or if you've had children and you've got excess skin hanging from your tummy because your skin's been stretched out, uh, or let's say you're getting older and the skin's you know, drooping from your neck, there really is no cream that's going to make that skin go away. There's no injection that's going to make it away. Lasers aren't going to do it. But unfortunately, there are places out there, because that's all they have, that will encourage you to do a treatment. So I've had patients come to see me, and they've lost a bunch of weight, and they've got excess skin hanging from their tummy, and somebody says, oh, you should do cool sculpting to that. You should freeze that, and it will go away. They spend $4,000 on a bunch of cool sculpting treatments, and it looks the same. And had the person been honest with them and saying, really, the only option is surgery, that could have saved them a lot of time and money. Um, so first thing I really encourage people is if your main concern is excess skin, is skin that's hanging from you know, an area, um, then unfortunately, sometimes the only way to get rid of it is to cut it out. And that doesn't tell surgery, that doesn't tell typically long scars. If that's something that you really bothers you that much that you want to consider that, then make sure you see a real board certified plastic surgeon. Um, Obviously, if you can be happy without going under the knife, then that's always the best thing. I'm also curious about for hair because I know I feel like my hair is thinning. Is it? And what should I be doing? So yeah, I found this out myself. I was actually on a trip a couple years ago with my family in Jamaica and we were jumping off cliffs and my wife is like, you've got a bald spot on your head. <laughs> I'm like, no. So this is something I've really focused on. you know. And for me, I try to avoid any um, prescriptions if I can. And so... I'll tell you what I do for my hair, which is something that anybody can do. Uh, number one, you want to de-stress. Stress will cause your hair to fall out. It's a condition called telogen effluvium. So reducing your stress, super important. Second thing is nutritional status. Um, now, you can go to a doctor and get labs drawn and see what you may be deficient in. Iron deficiency is a very common cause of hair loss. Um, there are, however, supplements out there that are kind of all-in-one uh, supplements for people who have thinning hair. So for me, I take Nutrafol every day. Uh, there are other ones like Viviscal and um, other ones, you know, you can combine biotin with your own different types of, of uh, 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 multivitamins and that can always help. And the next thing I would do would be a low light laser treatment. Now, low light laser therapy, essentially, it's laser therapy, but it's what we call cold lasers. They don't function by heat. So the laser of a laser pointer is technically a cold laser. You can point a laser pointer at somebody for hours and it's not going to burn them. There are studies that found that if you take a helmet and have hundreds of these lasers in a helmet and you put it on your head for a half hour, a couple times, or every other day or so, that that will actually cause your hair to get thicker. And it actually causes your hair follicles to go from, let's say, a latent phase to a growth phase. Wow. And these have been scientifically proven. Those are the things that I'm doing. The other thing you can do is you can add rosemary oil to your scalp. And there is one study that compared rosemary oil to minoxidil and found very similar results with thinning hair, except the rosemary oil, uh, people who use that had much less scalp irritation. Mm. Uh, so using a rosemary oil, you want to combine it with a carrier oil. You don't want to just put like essential oil rosemary on your scalp. That's too strong. That's what I've been doing. I oh, bought you the have? rosemary oil and I just plop it on my head. No, no. You want to ideally put it with a carrier oil, but there are and some... And what's that? Carrier uh, oil? Carrier oil like can be like... Um, olive oil? That could be one of them, although olive oil has a little... 
scent to it some people don't like. But yeah, essentially it's like an inert oil that you use it to mix with it as a way to um, dilute it. Coconut oil? Coconut oil is one that's very common. And some people find that coconut oil, because it's filled with antioxidants and, and really healthy fats, that that can also help with your scalp and with your hair growth too. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I've just been like taking it and plopping it on my head. Is it real essential oil? Because there are rosemary oils that are made it's specifically for one. the scalp. You'd have to, I'd have to look at it. Okay. But yeah, there are some that are made specifically for the scalp that are already mixed with the carrier oil. Um, so doing those things, that's kind of the basic stuff. That's what I'm doing myself. If you want to take that to the next level, it would be an invasive treatment, which would be PRP. Uh, PRP is where they draw your blood they remove the platelets, which are filled with growth factors. They spin that down and then inject it into your scalp where your hair is getting thin. So it's essentially it's taking your body's own regenerative abilities, I call it auto-juvenation, to actually cause your hair to grow. So literally it's from your body, putting it back into your body, but concentrating it. And at what point do you feel like you'll do that? I'll give it a little more time. <laughs> just I mean, we can do it in my office. We have it because we do that for um, the face for facial treatments. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, and I'm finding reasonable results with what I'm doing. What's the biggest drama you've caused on social media because you have such a big platform and doctors will get mad if you speak up against their practices? The biggest drama is been, for me has been probably regarding breast implants. And so there has been a dogma in plastic surgery for decades that breast implants are safe. Now, back in the early 1990s, there was a big hubbub because there were a lot of women who came forward saying that they thought their breast implants were making them sick. And so there was a big lawsuit, a class action lawsuit against Dow Chemical. Dow went bankrupt, and the silicone implants were taken off the market back in 1992. There were many studies being done then, since from 1992 all the way up to 2006, that looked at whether implants were, silicone implants were safe. And those studies found that in general, silicone implants are safe and don't create an excessive amount of surgical complications. But these studies did not so much look at other types of issues, hair loss, unexplained rashes, brain fog, fatigue. And so with the advent of social media, so the implants were placed back on the market in 2007, and then doctors, plastic surgeons, looked at that as proof that silicone implants are safe. I went through my training around that time, like right before that, and that was the dogma that was told to me. Always talk to me. Silicone implants are safe. Women who have implants and think that they're being sick from them, it's not true. It's in their head or it's something else. And that persisted through our dogma, through um, our, what we believe to be true, up until the last several years, where women started telling their stories on social media um, and using Facebook and Instagram to tell their stories. Uh, and it got me into thinking like, maybe what I was taught isn't right. So I started going to these websites of these women who are talking about their issues with implants. And I started looking at the studies that they were quoting. And I thought, I've never heard of this study. These were all studies in different literature and not in the plastic surgery literature. There were studies in the literature of rheumatologists, you know, and, and internal medicine. And I started reading these and I started thinking, wait a minute, maybe what I was taught is wrong. So I went public after looking at that and treating certain patients, taking their implants out and find that they, their symptoms got better. And I went public with it and there were patients and women who were very happy with it, but there were plastic surgeons who were reaching out to me who were not happy with me. And they were challenging me. I had one plastic surgeon who's a friend of mine who called me and he's like, hey, look, you got to really lay off of this implant illness thing. You know, you're not putting yourself out there. Um, and I've even had colleagues bash me you know, on rating sites and um, 
you know, people leaving comments on my social media saying, uh, you know, that, that you're, that, you know, insulting me saying that your colleagues don't, don't uh, believe you anymore. Like you've lost all credibility and all this stuff. And you know why? It's because of money. Yeah. Because these doctors are making so much money off it. So, you know, it, Full disclosure, I still do breast implants. You know, I think that they're safe for the vast majority of women who have these operations, but there is a percentage of women who I believe do get sick from them. And we have to listen to them and not just dismiss them. You know, there are plastic surgeons, if you go to them and you say, hey, I think my implants are making me sick, they'll try to refer you to a psychiatrist first. Wow, that's terrible. It is. And it's, it's just a sign of the patriarchy that's still in medicine nowadays. It's gradually getting better, and the societies are now taking it more seriously. But yeah, so you asked. It's a long answer to your oh question. Oh my God, it of, makes me so angry. Like I feel physically red thinking about this. Yeah, and I think it's something that for me, you know, I felt fine when people are attacking me because I feel like that's the, you know, it was the right thing to do. But I was one of the early doctors to do that. Now there are other doctors who are coming forward as they're seeing their patients and and, uh, and the problem now is the tide has shifted in some ways where now certain plastic surgeons are using these women who are sick from their implants as marketing gimmicks. And now they're actually advertising operations that are unnecessary, you know, where they're over-aggressive operations that they say, oh, only I can do this the right way to make you get better. Uh, and then some of them are even recommending, you know, real expensive cleanses and, oh, you have to buy, if you're going to do this, you got to buy all my supplements and all these types of things. And, and you're going to spend $30,000 to get your implants out and all this stuff. So it's now even gone all the opposite way where you've got plastic surgeons who uh, I believe are using women who are getting sick from their implants actually as a way to profit off of them and their uh, concerns because they haven't been taken, you know, uh, they haven't been listened to before, but now they're actually going the opposite way and they're over-treating them, which I think is just as bad as not treating them at all. I really hate that money is so intertwined with the medical field too. It feels like the medical field, I wish it were pure and untouched and not tainted with money issues. I hear you, but it's that's the way healthcare here is in the United States. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it is like that. I mean, I recently left, the, I mean, I've been at a certain hospital for 19 years and they recently pushed plastic surgeons like myself out because they said, we don't make enough money for, uh, off of your operations because I do all cosmetic surgery now and I did it at the, a local hospital. And they said, yeah, we're not making as much off you. We want to get orthopedics in here because we make more money off of them. And it's like, but you're a nonprofit hospital. They go, yeah, but that's more important to us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, the U.S. healthcare system is a bit of a mess right now. So we have a closing tradition. The podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is all about Dr. Yoon Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away saying, Dr. Yoon taught me this? Well, I hope that you walk away saying that you know that there is autojuvenative abilities that your body has on its own. And that if you make simple changes to what you eat, when you eat, what supplements you take, or if you take supplements, and doing a certain skincare regimen, that you can turn back the clock five, 10 years, maybe more, literally by using your body's own autojuvenative abilities. And you can do this in the span of literally a couple months. You don't have to have surgery or painful injections or anything like that. Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. Yay! If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to leave a review. It really helps support what we're doing. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.